Impact leadership. What does it mean to wake up each day knowing your work, effort, and passion is being transformed into creating change that makes a difference in your business, organization, community, and your own life experience? And it can be hard to stay on track when at times the winds do not blow in your direction. But you persevere one step forward at a time, creating something better. This is fulfillment in action. And this is passion for impact. Educating, empowering, and elevating social consciousness in people, business, and teams. One inspiring conversation at a time. Passion for Impact is brought to you by Speak Plus. Learn the tools and skills to speak with courage and clarity. Share your stories and your teachings. The world needs to hear them. Level up your voice, energy, and confidence. Are you ready to get on stage? I will personally coach you every step of the way. Visit passionigniter.ca forward slash speak plus for all the details. This is the Passion for Impact podcast with speaker, trainer, and socially conscious advocate, Tricia Miltimore. So do you work five days a week? Do you ever feel like there's not enough time to do it all to juggle work and life and everything in between? Are you actually productive for all five of the days you work? Yeah? (laughs) What would your life look like Hey, and feel like if you had one more day to get stuff done around the house, hang with family, and whatever else fills your energy and fulfillment cup? Could you actually get more done in four days than in five? Some deep questions. Joe O'Connor is a driven and dynamic change maker and leader, and he is here to talk all about the four day week. Now, a little bit about Joe. He is the director and co founder of the world's first center of excellence in work time reduction, a new global initiative being launched in partnership with the leading people first transformation company, Curium Solutions. Previously, As the CEO and Global Pilot Program Manager of Four Day Week Global, Joe led the design and implementation of Four Day Week trials all over the world, supporting over 200 employers and 10,000 employees to make the transition to reduced hour productivity-focused working in 2022. He is a former political party chairperson and political campaign director and senior advisor, having managed several successful national political and electoral campaigns. Man, what does this guy not do, right? And in 2022, or 2020, I should say, and I love this, Joe co-founded the Doorstep Market, a voluntary initiative set up to support small, independent Irish businesses during the pandemic. Now, this virtual multi-vendor marketplace enabled Irish consumers to stay home and shop local, supporting more than 300 businesses who previously had no online trading presence. So, yeah. I'm thinking there's some pretty cool stuff here and some big impact too. Welcome to the show, Joe. Thanks, Tricia. Great to be here. I see you got the long version of the bio, so apologies for that. (laughs) Well, you know what? I love the long version because there's so many pieces. I think it really helps add context to, you know, why you're here on the show right now and what we're going to talk about as well. And of course, I just love that little last zinger of a community impact that you led as well. So it must be like in your bones, this whole impact and community and um, elevating people's lives. Would you say it's like a pattern throughout your career and life? I guess it is. You know, um, the first job that I held leaving college, if you qualify it as a job, is I was a student representative in the students' union for a number of years. 
in my college in Galway, Ireland. I ended up becoming the um, national president of the Nationwide Students' Union, the Union of Students in Ireland. So right from the outset of my career, I was passionate about leadership and passionate about change and really found myself drawn to projects where I felt I could make a difference. And, you know, this this work time reduction, shorter work week space is something which became a, a passion and an interest of mine about five years ago, almost as a, as a kind of a side hustle and a side project. And it's obviously become, you know, the driving force of my career in, in recent years. Um, and I'm sure in the in the years to come, too. What was the catalyst for the interest in a reduced work week and that, that whole kind of world? What was the catalyst for that for you? So back in 2018, I was involved in coordinating a research project in the Irish public sector, which was looking at work-life balance issues more generally. But one of the things that we included some questions on was, was this whole area of the four-day week and the shorter working week, which was starting, you know, not nearly like it is today, but was starting to gain some, some momentum globally. There had been some trials in Iceland and Denmark and New Zealand that I had been tracking. So we asked some questions around that. And one of the really striking findings from that research was the huge volume of working parents, mostly women, who had already moved to four-day weeks or reduced hour work weeks for an equivalent reduction in pay. But yet they felt that their responsibilities in the job, their expectations in the job, and the output that they were producing was very much the same as it, as it had been in, in five days. So that got me really thinking about and interested in this concept of Parkinson's law, which is the idea that a task expands to fill the time that's available for its completion. And I think that that holds true in many modern organizations and that the work I've done in recent years has only served to to really strengthen that belief. Yeah, I think that holds true, especially when I'm procrastinating on so many things and, and it's like I could get it done very quickly, but it can take a week for sure. So you and I, I love this conversation because I think as a mother, um, four kids myself, and working, and how much more efficient I became actually working wise, and so I think that law is very true. So for anyone who's new to this whole four day week idea or concept philosophy, how would you describe it? What's your general kind of um, description of what it exactly is? So what we're really talking about here is reduce our productivity-focused working. So we're talking about not the same number of hours crammed into four days. We're not talking about reduced hours for reduced salary. We're talking about delivering the same outcomes in less time for the same salary. Um, And so the trials I was involved in at Four Day Week Global were based around this principle of the 180-100 rule, 100% pay, 80% time in exchange for a commitment to delivering 100% of the output. Mm -hmm. But I work with organizations who do many different variations. So it's not always necessarily 20% reduced hours, four days. It could be starting with a nine-day fortnight, a half-day Friday, shorter work days. And really the principle here is that we believe that you can produce the same results and the same performance with fewer and with more efficient inputs. So actually, when you look under the bonnet of what's actually happening in these organizations, they're not just reducing hours and all of a sudden, magically, their productivity is increasing. They're streamlining their operations. They're changing work practices. They're they're finding efficiencies and process improvements in their business. And really, the four-day week is very much a catalyst to drive that kind of change in your organization. 
when you make time a scarce resource and when you introduce that constraint, it really can help to make your organization more efficient and more productive. Wow. And tell me a little about the human side of it, the impact on people when they have, you know, more time outside of work to do other things. Well, I mean, it's, it's almost very obvious, but it's, it's still very good to restate it. Um, as benefits go, this is life-changing and transformative for people in a whole host of different ways. For some people, it's because they get to spend more time with family, caring for elderly relatives, more time with their kids growing up. For some people, it means that they can pursue new hobbies, interests, and endeavors that they otherwise would not have been able to do. For some people, it might mean investing more in their community. So it can have a whole range of of different benefits for for different people. I think that's the power in it. It's that when you give people their time back, um, it's something that's very personal to people. And so, you know, all of the trials and the research that I've been involved in would suggest really statistically significant improvements across a whole range of well-being indicators uh, in terms of reduced burnout, reduced stress, and really closely correlating with reducing the length of time that people are spending at work. So all of the surveys that we've seen, there's been one recently here in Canada, commissioned by talent.com. 93% of Canadians say that they're very much interested in the idea of a four-day work week. But when you drill down beneath that and you ask people, what is the single most attractive benefit that would lead for you to leave your current organization or to join a new one? The four-day week ranks first, ahead of flexibility, ahead of insurance, you know, the single most attractive thing for people. And I think that's something the pandemic has really affected. I think a lot of people have very much realigned their priorities and the things that are important for them in life. And time is now really coming top of that list. Mm-hmm. It most certainly did that, didn't it? This is fascinating to me, and I, I, I'm excited about, and I'm sure many people listening. So, you know, most people listening to Passion for Impact or HR leaders have their own businesses, maybe are taking care of teams, leaders, impact leaders. If, they're, if someone's thinking, you know what, this would be an amazing benefit to include for my people, like, what is the first step to figuring out the best process and design of a reduced work time week? So the first intervention that we typically do with organizations who are thinking about this, who are actively exploring it, is we have this diagnostic process, which is is almost like a feasibility study, but really it's setting out to answer three key questions. The first is the organization's readiness to move to a shorter working week. So lots of organizations are right for a shorter working week culturally, but they might not yet be ready operationally in terms of Mm. having the right processes, having the right systems in place in order to be able to make this work. The second question we want to answer is, what are the main challenges, barriers, and obstacles that they'll need to overcome? And we tend to custom design the planning and preparation phase for the trial or for the implementation based on those specific needs and challenges that the business might have. And then the third is, what's the right model for that? So the four-day week is not a one-size-fits-all. For some companies, it might look like a single universal day off. For some companies, it might mean devising rosters and schedules to maintain service coverage through the work week. 
For some companies, it might be a mix of those things where they have different approaches for different departments and teams within the business. And for others, it might require a more incremental journey, starting with something like a nine-day fortnight or a half-day Friday, as I, as I said earlier. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're very much working with them to figure out what are the challenges, you know, what's the timeline, and what's the right model, what's the right fit for, for that organization. And so you work hand in hand with them to determine those things. For anyone who's listening and maybe has a, a team of 50 or less, it, have, it, does it work often in the smaller organizations as well? And is there any maybe tips you can provide for people to, to start moving towards learning what might be the best fit for them or what their people would most appreciate? Any tips for people who are thinking this might be good for them? Well, I think this, actually, if you look at the the implementation to date, it has been mostly driven by SMEs. So that the highest pace of adoption has been in smaller businesses, with some exceptions, even though when you look at the survey data, larger businesses tend to be more generally open-minded to the idea, um, potentially because it's easier for them maybe to cover shifts and to, to, to devise rosters because they've got a greater resource. Um, but we've seen a, a big take-up amongst, uh, amongst smaller businesses with less than, less than 50 employees for sure. I think one of the things is culture is very important. You know, the companies that that tend to make this work are those that already have a very strong culture of trust, of partnership, of collaboration. You know, companies that already have got a very bottom-up approach to decision-making tend to find this an easier journey than organizations with a more command and control style of decision-making. I think one of the big questions that HR leaders are asking themselves now is, you know, they're looking at four-day week and shorter work week as part of this whole suite and range of different flexibility options that are out there. Um, And I think one of the the big benefits of this is the universal nature of it, because my experience certainly is that with some flexibility models, so let's take, for example, this growing trend of saying to your employees, you can work where you want, you can work when you want, um, as long as you get the work done. And that sounds great, you know, on the face of it, that sounds incredible. But often these ultra flexibility models, which are unstructured, the outcomes tend to be very unevenly distributed. So it can often, it can depend hugely on, you know, the internal dynamics of your team. How does your manager um, perceive the policy? Sometimes there can be gender dynamics at play. So often the benefit can be very uneven in how it's distributed. And because it's so individualized and so discretionary, there isn't really a collective incentive to change things like, you know, no one person can change the way their team meets, the way their team communicates. So the beauty of the shorter work week is that it provides this collective universal benefit that really incentivizes people to work together to figure out better ways of working. And I think that's that's really at the heart of its success. Mm, that is very interesting. The Work Time Reduction Center of Excellence is there resources online people can access to learn more about the initiative, philosophy, and moving forward? Sure. So a good place to start is our website, which is worktimereduction.com. We're mm-hmm. also on LinkedIn um, at the Work Time Reduction Center of Excellence. Um, we've got lots of new resources, which we're going to be launching in the coming months, including a new white paper that we've been working on with the University of Toronto. Um, And there's a facility on our website as well to fill out a short assessment, which is a free tool, um, which is very much around getting you thinking about the right kinds of things in terms of what your organization needs to be ready 
to implement a shorter work week project. So looking at questions around culture, around people, around operations and processes, um, I think is a very good conversation starter. They can also book a, a call with, with one of our team um, to talk more about this if they want to learn a little bit more about, you know, how could this affect their business? How can it work um, in practice? Are there similar organizations to them that have maybe done this already that we're familiar with that we can share those stories about? So yeah, we're, we're more than happy to talk to folks who are interested in this area for sure. Oh, that's great. And I would love to know a story that maybe stands out for you in all your time working towards this and working with this, uh, a company or maybe an individual person and you're, that really sticks out for you. Like, oh, that really impacted their lives in some pretty incredible ways. Kind of putting you on the spot, but any stories that stand out for you? For sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say this is the best story, but it's the first story that comes to mind. A company we worked with in Boise, Idaho called HealthWise. Um, they're a nonprofit healthcare information services um, company. Um, their CEO, Adam Husney, approached me in, in August of 2021. They had a massive problem with employee turnover, and they were finding it very difficult to compete on salary in a very competitive recruitment market, like a lot of nonprofits. Um, so they, they really went to the four-day week almost as a, a crisis management response to this huge issue they had with retention, losing key people, the cost of recruitment, retraining, upskilling. Um, and it pretty much fixed their turnover problem overnight. Their employee attrition um, went to effectively zero from, from September 2021 onwards. Wow. Um, and I know, you know, Adam is is, is really strong on, on telling that story about, you know, one day they had a, a meeting in the office and an employee that was very guarded, that was, you know, not the most open individual, not somebody who, you know, they were great at their job, but they wouldn't necessarily be the first person to stand up at a town hall meeting and, and share their their feelings or their their experiences, you know, tapped him on the shoulder and basically asked him about the future of the policy and was this something they were going to keep um, and, you know, almost broke down in tears in telling Adam how much this policy had meant to him, his family, his relationships, how this had really changed his life quite dramatically. So, um, you know, that's that's definitely one story that 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 sticks out for me um, as, as, a, as a pretty powerful one. Yeah, it's amazing when it, you, you hear from an individual about how it really impacted their life. And that's what I love about the conversation around work-life balance, productivity, or how I like to describe it, work-life synergy, is that it actually impacts people's everyday life. And that's where I get excited, and I'm sure you do as well, is that you know changes in policy, changes in how we do business, uh, it, it makes a difference. It really does. I'm curious, and the question that comes to my mind, and I'm, you know, if I'm thinking it, maybe someone else is as well, is it must depend a little bit on the rollout with management. Because what if they just reduce the hours, but still do have this unspoken, like you do still need to maintain this level or more of um, outcomes? So, I mean, I don't know. How, it, it, does it always result in efficiency or can it, can there be kind of some bumps in the road there? And what do those look like? Yeah. I mean, there can definitely be some bumps in the road. I mean, I've, I've heard organizations who have said moving to a shorter working week didn't solve all of their problems, but it surfaced all of their problems. You know, when you create that kind of pressure in the system by reducing the number of hours, what it causes often is a lot of unspoken frustrations bubble up to the surface. A mm -hmm. lot of, you know, 
inefficiencies or risks within uh, within your systems and processes all of a sudden are exposed. Um, and, and almost, you know, in, in each case, the leaders that would, would share this with me or, or the organizations where we've seen this firsthand, um, they see that as a good thing, you know, because it, it, it brought to the surface the things that needed to be fixed in order to make their organization a better one and in order to make their people you know, happier, healthier, and more productive. So, um, but this is not a, a silver bullet. You know, this is not something which you you press the, the the green button and all of a sudden it magics up. You know, every solution to every problem. Mm-hmm. This is is you know, it can be hard. It can be you know, it certainly might not be straightforward. But if you can pull it off, and there's lots of evidence out there now to suggest that very many organizations from a whole variety of different industries have been able to pull this off, then the benefits are really very real and very significant. So I think, you know, my message would be don't underestimate this as this is going to be really easy, but it's something that that really could be a huge game changer for your organization and for your people. And the, the other thing I would say is it's getting the balance right between not overthinking it in terms of this is something that like the most detail-oriented CEO in the world does not know the day-to-day intricacies of each of their employees' jobs well enough to tell them how they need to redesign it. So this needs Mm -hmm. to be led from the ground up, and there needs to be an element of allowing those details to actually be fleshed out by the trial and by the process rather than trying to preempt every answer in advance, because that's pretty much impossible. But Mm -hmm. equally, not to underestimate the, the planning process. You know, the companies that invest in planning and preparation two to three months in advance of, of, of starting their trial or introducing the policy tend to be the ones that report a much more seamless transition for themselves and for their staff and for their customers. Whereas I've seen some companies who have done this where they've eventually managed to make it work. It's not like it's failed. They've eventually managed to make it work, but it's been a bumpier ride. You know, they've, their mm-hmm. first couple of months have been a lot more chaotic in terms of the implementation. So you've been involved in this arena for five years. What drives your impact in this field? I guess I was motivated to get interested in this because I felt it was overdue. You know, I felt this was something that we already had the productive capacity and the technological tools at our disposal to make happen. Um, You know, we've seen in the last 20 years, email, internet, digital communications, globalization, and yet our work week has remained resolutely the same as what it was a century ago. And I think if you look at what we're all seeing play out in front of us now around artificial intelligence, I think it's really important we don't make the same mistakes in terms of making sure we share the benefits of the really incredible um, productivity advances and technological advances that that's that that's making available to us. You know, lots of the companies I've worked with have automated certain tasks or use technology to, to streamline administrative processes as part of their move to a four-day work week. And that was two years ago. Like the scope now to do that kind of stuff is so much wider, which is very exciting for someone like me that's involved in this space. But just because you can do it doesn't mean that we will do it. And I think that it requires people who are really passionate advocates for this to drive that change and to really, you know, we've got such an opportunity now. The the pandemic has changed so much. You know, the rise of AI, I think, is going to be another big driver. 
But just because we have an open goal doesn't mean you're going to put the ball in the net. And Mm -hmm. there's a chance to fundamentally rethink the way that we live and work. But it doesn't mean that it's going to happen unless unless we really all collectively push for that. Mm -hmm. What um, excites you the most about this initiative, this um, move towards a four-day week? I think the, the exciting part for me is that I've seen firsthand the difference this can make to organizational cultures and to individuals in their lives. But what we haven't got a good sense of yet is the aggregate effect. And what I mean by that is I see this as potentially being something that's an absolute game changer for gender equality. I see this as something that could have an enormous impact in terms of climate change, reducing commuting times, reducing energy use in buildings, giving people the time back to actually invest you know, I think one of the big challenges we have with climate change is it's this big, huge issue, and everyone is so busy and so stretched with everything else that they have going on that they don't have time to engage with the problem. So I think that there are huge societal benefits that could rise from this, but we really won't be able to capture that until this is something that, that that's much more integrated society-wide. Right now, you know, there's companies are doing it. We've seen these trials. We've seen the the benefits of a company at an individual level, but I think there's economic, societal, and environmental benefits that we haven't even scratched the surface on yet. Mm, it's very, very exciting. The gender equality topic, in what ways do you see the four-day week really impacting gender equality? Well, so it comes back to that anecdote I shared earlier about you know the, the, the working parents, mostly women, who are mm. already working reduced hour schedules for less pay. And I think whether it's Ireland or Canada or the US or the UK or or any of the markets that I'm familiar with, we have this situation where the vast majority of part-time work is carried out by women. And equally, the vast majority of domestic and caring responsibilities in the home are carried out by women. So if you introduce a more level playing field, in other words, if you universalize shorter work weeks in a way that women can participate in an equal footing in the workforce, it doesn't impact their career progression, their leadership opportunities in the same way. And, you know, some of the results from the, the global trials that I've been involved in would suggest that men have spent a greater proportion of their time off on childcare and on domestic labor responsibilities than women have. The, the statistics off the top of my head, I think it was 13% for women, 29% for men, which probably still doesn't come anywhere toward, you know, close to closing the gap, but it certainly indicates progress. So I think that the idea here is that if you equalize, um, you know, one of the big drivers of the gender pay gap, as we know, is part-time work being mostly carried out by women. So if we can get to a space where, you know, shorter work weeks are now the norm rather than the exception, then obviously we could see some pretty fundamental change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, opening opportunities for sure. Wow. Okay. So as an impact maker yourself, um, how do you stay you know, really focused on the drive for the, your, I guess, your goals and what you want to achieve and not letting that kind of burn you out personally, because uh, there's so much potential of impact that can be made with this. How do you kind of maintain that boundary and balance for yourself? Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest with you, you know, I've had, there's been weeks where I've been working four and a half days, there's been weeks where I've been working five days. And it's just, you know, I guess the same thing as we, we tell the companies that we work with, this isn't about an arbitrary number. This is about, 
you will need to at times when there's you know emergencies, when there's urgent deadlines, when there's particularly busy periods, you will need to flex on your four-day week the same as most people at certain periods have to flex on their five-day week. But it's about moving the needle on the standard expectation. And I definitely think I've been fortunate in that I've worked with so many pioneering leaders, really innovative businesses doing really interesting stuff that I've learned a lot on that journey around how to be much more focused, how to eliminate distraction. You know, I'm not going to say that I practice everything that I preach, and I definitely have times where I, I have slippage on that and I need to kind of realign. But but I think I've probably picked up a lot along the way in terms of um, being quite focused and quite quite direct in terms of here are the, the, the kind of, here are the things that I believe are going to really drive value and drive impact and trying to clear away a little bit of the, one of the, the things that I always say is for an awful lot of, of organizations, the four-day week is already here. It's just buried under the rubble of poorly run and unnecessary meetings, mm-hmm. distraction and interruption in the workday, inefficient, outdated processes. And once you start to clear away some of that, some of that stuff, you find that actually a shorter work week is well within reach. And I think that's, you know, I think a lot of us can actually see see that in our, in our own day-to-day work as well. Mm-hmm. And plus you've got those two um, Cocker Spaniels, right? Looking at you saying, take me for a walk. Yeah. I mean, that that is one of my, one of my big switch-offs is, um, is we've got, as you said, two. One of them is more energetic. So one of them is five is really, really needs his walks. The other one is 14. So she's Aww. a little bit, um, a little bit more chilled out um, and doesn't need quite as much exercise. But yeah, we moved from, we're obviously originally from Ireland. We moved from NYC to Toronto last October. And, and the area we're living in is like doggy paradise. There's about seven off-leash dog areas within 30 minutes um, walk of, of, of where we live. So yeah, they're really loving the, the, the green space and the, and the freedom. Oh, good job for the good community design, Toronto. So Canadian, eh? <laughs> I love yeah, it. I'm buying it. I love it. Okay, so um, beside, I'm totally curious about this. Uh, you know, from working with so many companies, you mentioned, you know, um, some processes and procedures that just weigh things down that are unnecessary, kind of, the, you know, the rubble above what could be a four-day week. What are some of the most frustrating and common ones you see besides the boring non-needed meeting that's even the right verbiage but what other um, processes and procedures and stuff that people have in their companies that you're just like you see it again and again you're like yeah that 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 can go or that can be more efficient i would say one of the most common ones is mindful technology usage in that if i think there's almost an impulse if you've got a problem that's caused by technology, the answer is more technology. And the answer is a new system or a new app or a new... And often it it really is much more about scaling back and using what we're using in a much more streamlined, efficient way, rather than thinking there's some other new magic solution that's going to to solve it, is often at at the crux of a lot of problems. So, you know, we've seen companies who have tried to move to shorter work weeks and they've attacked meetings, but all they've really done is they've moved the waste from the meetings into Slack or into some other communication platform, rather than actually attacking the root cause of, you know, what are the things that drive value? What are the things that are necessary evils that we need to deprioritize or minimize the the time that we're spending on? And what's the stuff that can just go? And, And I think, 
redesigning and restructuring the way you work is going to, it requires a little bit more thought than we're just going to detox our, our, our diaries and, and clear out all our meetings. Because if you haven't actually addressed the fundamental root cause, you'll probably find you'll come back three months later and the same stuff will have reappeared just in a, in a different form. Mm, that is something to think about. Everyone listening is like, okay, what technology are we just using, not using mindfully? <laughs> and yeah, that's, that's a good one. Okay. Uh, any particular platforms that are um, most guilty for that? I mean, I, I don't want this to be a slam on, on Slack because it's a really good product. And I it's probably the most common one for misuse just because it's the most common one. So, you know, mm. a huge amount of organizations that we work with, they do use Slack. And as I said, sometimes reform can take the form of dumping processes and activities into Slack from meetings or from, from um, other activity rather than actually drilling down into what's adding value, what's needed, and what are we actually trying to get out of this out of this platform? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think one of the things that organizations need to figure out is this is something that can't be really rigid. So there needs to be discretion around this. There, there is going to be occasions where you need to 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 flex out from the, the the standard structure of the of the work week. But it's really being able to tell the difference between. I run a bank and my regulator wants to meet me for a coffee on my scheduled day off, you know, you're probably going to want to take that meeting and sending out an unnecessary email or Slack message to your entire team on their scheduled day off that could easily have just waited until Monday. So it's about that that discipline and that balance. And, you know, there's not really a, a toolkit for that. That's something that sometimes you've just got to actively manage and get your get your feel for, you know, what are the things that that makes sense to show flexibility? And what are the things that if we're flexible on them, then we're just undermining the whole culture and the whole intent behind the policy? Mm -hmm. That's very interesting. So let's let's ask a few questions about you, Joe. Let's learn more about Joe. If you could give yourself some advice from 10 years ago, if you could go back 10 years, what advice would you share with your younger self? Wow. I was asked this question on a podcast recently, and I gave an answer, and I can't even remember the answer that I gave. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you have to come up with a new one. <laughs> I know. Well, maybe I'll, I'll come up with the, with the same one. Um, I, I think it, it's, it's probably, you know, you can probably see from looking at my LinkedIn, I was doing five to 10 years ago, was doing a whole lot of different stuff. And, and I probably didn't learn to say no until I've started doing this work. I've always been somebody who, you know, I think people who are in either change maker or entrepreneurial roles probably find it easier to tell people why it's important to say no than to actually act on it themselves. So yeah, maybe there was some opportunity cost in my earlier career because I took on a whole load of stuff that I didn't need to do just because I wanted to be involved and associated with everything that I was interested in. And you know, you grow up and you realize that's not possible and you need to be a little bit more. Um, And I I guess the other thing um, is... Back when I was in college, um, which, you know, it's probably now, what are we talking, 12, 14 years ago, there was so much focus on, you know, I remember in Ireland at the time, this was before the big property crash. So everybody was doing quantity surveying and construction management because the property market in Ireland was booming. And then by the time we graduated, we had the crash and all of these people were effectively there with degrees in an area where there was no jobs. And I, I, I use that anecdote to say, 
it's even more extreme now, and it's only going to get more extreme. The link between the, the content that you study in college and what you're going to end up needing for your career is, is year on year getting more and more broken. And so critical thinking and actually skills-based study is becoming, with the rise of AI, is, is only going to be more important. So I, I think that I probably believe there needs to be a rethink of our education system, but at the very least, I think that people individually can maybe make better choices if they're not as motivated around what do I need to do in order to be where I want to get to next year? Because there's a good chance that by the time you get to next year, the goalposts are going to have shifted. And if you've, if you've pigeonholed yourself or boxed yourself into a corner, then you're going to have to spend a lot of time finding your way back from there. How do you feel about, this is a little bit off topic, but I'm curious, you know, the idea in recruitment that a lot of companies still do require a degree of some sort. What's your personal philosophy on that? Do you feel that it's kind of an old school or cause there's, there seems to be shifting and some require it, some don't, you know, or equivalent experience. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, it depends on the role, right? You know, I, I if you're recruiting for a structural engineer role, then, you know, I think it's, it's probably necessary, but um, <laughs> probably, <hey? laughs> I, I definitely think that most people a couple of years after they graduate realize that the significance that they placed on, you know, like the experience, the value that I, I like, I would not be where I am today without the value of the experience that I had in my mm-hmm. education journey, but the specifics around the areas that that you you focused on, everyone experiences that big drift. And are we having such a focus on that purely from a kind of to teach people discipline, or are we doing it for for strategic goals? Because the reality is is that putting a huge emphasis on what's required to succeed in business in 2013 or in 2023 or in 2033, four years later, the things that's going to be required to succeed will have changed very significantly from a kind of a strategy and tactics perspective. And the things that's going to stick around is the drivers of what makes for a successful person, what makes for um, you know a, a quick study, a quick learner, somebody who's flexible, somebody who's able to kind of respond. Um, and I'm not sure we've got that balance right. Hmm. It's definitely an interesting conversation and probably good for another episode. But yeah, there's that's some good stuff there. Some good insights. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Okay, two more questions, and then we'll wrap this all up. But how do you help your team members uh, as a leader yourself to focus on growth over kind of the grind mindset? Yeah, I I think we have a, a very streamlined approach in terms of very clearly articulating our goals, making sure that they're very well understood, very well communicated across the team that everybody can kind of see how their day-to-day activity ladders up into their goals. Because sometimes we find in the projects that we work with clients on, the stuff that people think isn't adding value, sometimes it really is adding value, but they just don't understand how or why. So often people will be recruited into jobs and they're just told, you do this thing. And someone probably told the person who was starting that role five years earlier that this is why they're doing it and this is why it's important. But, you know, that that's been lost. And so I think that's a a really important starting point is everyone can understand how their work relates to the overall success of the organization. And then, yeah, I think it's being disciplined around constantly reevaluating how you're spending your time, having that balance between 
being very deliberate around what's the time that I need to spend on collaboration activity. So meetings, communicating with my team. What's the time I need to spend on administration activity? So catching up with emails, you know, crossing off items on my to-do list. Mm-hmm. What's the time I need to spend on, you know, high value, focused, deep work that's going to really move the needle? And then what's the time that I need for adequate rest? And building that all in in a much more deliberate way, um, rather than just allowing it to become a kind of amorphous hodgepodge of activity that can vary hugely week to week. Hmm. I like the structure. Okay, one last question. Before I ask it, though, let's remind everyone how they can access more information about the four-day week, the Work Time Reduction Center of Excellence. What is your website again? It is worktimereduction.com, and we are on LinkedIn at the Work Time Reduction Center of Excellence. We're also on Twitter, um, and they can find me on LinkedIn as Joe O'Connor. Mm-hmm. And I really recommend everyone to do that because I've been learning so much about all of this just through your posts and what you're sharing. And of course, you have events that are happening coming up in the future here too as well. So please do go online, LinkedIn, if you happen to live there, which I typically do, and uh, connect with Joe O'Connor. Well, okay. One more question for you. I'm going to put you on the spot one last time. What is the best wisdom you have ever received? I'm, I'm going to go again. I'm not sure this is the best wisdom I've ever received, but mm-hmm. this idea of the Pareto principle that 80% of your effort leads to 20% of the results is something that I like to always come back to because I think that that typically holds true. And the longer you go without having that sense check, the more likely it is that you're kind of you're drifting further away from where you need to get to. So yeah, I, I think that's a that's a, a good a good takeaway for people. I think so too. Thank you again for joining us here on Passion for Impact. Really appreciate your time, your insights, and your energy. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Tricia. Pleasure. If you love learning how to live and lead in a caring and fulfilling way, and you find this show inspiring, please share with your friends, rate and review this podcast. Passion for Impact, it's brought to you by Rock Your Leadership. We train leaders on how to grow success, drive change and not burn out. Visit passionigniter.ca for more details. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Passion for Impact podcast. Visit passionigniter.ca forward slash podcast to subscribe for episode notes, links and special offers from show guests. Cast your vote. Make your impact. One socially conscious choice at a time.